I have a very special guest for you today. For some reason, she popped into my timeline on LinkedIn some months ago and really got my attention with some of her comments on people's posts. And I thought, I really need to get this woman on the podcast. And so I was paying attention and I saw more and more of this. And then I started to look at some of the comments that her colleagues and clients made about her as well. Here's just a little sample. What makes Rachel stand out is her ability to make relationships seem effortless while never taking her eye away from the bigger picture of revenue execution. Here's another one. Rachel is intelligent, passionate, and an overall joy to talk to. Rachel Shee, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Paul, for having me. Excited to, to be here. My pleasure. I'm looking forward to getting into some of the topics that I've seen you discuss on LinkedIn and what I feel is a, quite a unique insight. Um, but before we do that, I understand you're from Australia, but you're living in Canada. Maybe take me back to a little bit about where you grew up, what that was like. For sure. Yeah, so definitely a bit of a, a mutt. Um, as uh, I was just talking about this with my manager the other day. Uh, so I'm working at a, a company called Metadata, a US-based company. And I think, uh, you know, I'm the only one who's kind of got all this sort of different mix of cultures and uh, sort of different places in me. So I can talk through that <laughs> a little bit. Uh, so yes, born and raised in Melbourne, uh, Australia, daughter of Chinese immigrants. Uh, so they came to, to Australia, lived there for a couple of years, and uh, you know, then I came along. Uh, so lived there for the, the majority uh, of my life, uh, mostly kind of like metropolitan Melbourne. So, uh, you know, went to school there, uh, high school to, to university. Um, and yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting time. Melbourne's a very multicultural city. So I don't know, uh, you know if you've been, Paul, but... Uh, you know, was exposed to, yeah, a lot of different uh, cultures and, uh, you know, perspectives mm. from a, a very young age. Um, mm. Yeah, came to, to Canada when I was 25, uh, pretty much clean slate, didn't know anybody, no network, uh, no job lined up, uh, pretty much just wanted to explore the world and kind of see what else was, was out there. So been here for, gosh, I think the last five, six years now. Uh, and yeah, we'll be actually heading off to, to Costa Rica um, in a month or so as well to, to try out a new adventure. So that's kind of uh, where, I'm, where I've been and nice. where I'm currently at. And that's a permanent move, well, somewhat permanent move, I guess. It's, it's, it's your next adventure, right, in life? We'll see. Yeah, I think COVID's kind of yeah. opened up the world a little bit for a lot of people with keyboard jobs, <laughs> as, uh, as yes. I have. So we'll be doing yeah. a little bit of digital nomading and uh, exploration there before, uh, you know, sort of figuring out what the, the next move is. Yeah. yeah. I'm interested in the experience. You're the daughter of immigrants into Australia and how that might influence or have formed your, your character. And in, in what way, I guess? Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a nuanced topic for sure, Paul. I think... Uh, Certainly, we're all uh, formed or conditioned by uh, you know certain aspects of how we grew up, who our parents were, uh, you know, racial, gender, uh, you know, I guess sort of influences there. I prefer to think of things a little bit differently, though. Um, you know, I certainly had friends who were you know arguably sort of in the same position. You know, also children of, of immigrants, also children of Chinese immigrants in Australia. But um, you know, I always felt like a bit of a, an outlier, right? I don't think I even 
the way that I move through the world, I don't think is defined through those lenses as much as uh, just through my own observations uh, of the world. Mm. And that's largely, I think, detached from some of these other kind of demographic markers, if you will, um, you know, that, that other people seem to actually, uh, you know, align more closely with. And we can talk more about that, but mm, yeah. Sure. That's, uh, what what is it. it that you see, I'm curious, you said you see it more of a, as an outlier. What is it that makes you feel that way? Yeah, well, I guess from just personal experience, um, you know, I've never felt, oh, how do I put it this way? I've never felt really as part of any group growing up and still don't, uh, you know, now as, a, as an adult. Uh, I don't know if any of your listeners have watched Daria, the, the cartoon show is more of a, I guess, a 90s thing. Maybe some of your uh, millennial listeners will have, but um, I couldn't relate a little bit to, to her. She was always someone who was sort of on the outside, uh, you know, outside looking in, uh, very independent, very just, you know, beat to the, the rhythm of her own drum kind of thing. Mm. Uh, so that was, that was like one of my favorite shows growing up and I could relate a lot to, to her. And uh, yeah, mm. I, I just never felt like, I always flitted from group to group, like never really saw myself as one, one identity or one subculture, uh, yeah. if you will. Yeah, I, I, that's why I was interested and why I asked you the question, because like you, I'd, I'd noted that you, there was a comment, which I'd love to come back to. I've always been uh, fascinated by psychology and by the human mind, why people do what they do. And, and, and I'm, I'm like that as well. And I'm, I have an interest in sociology. And when you look, for example, if I know, for example, as an Irish person, when I emigrated to the UK, that wasn't such a strange experience because many had done that before me and there were many others there. So I, di I didn't stand out in that sense. And Australia is a place that a lot of people emigrate to. So therefore, the immigrant experience is somewhat normalized as part of the greater society. Whereas if you went to a different country, maybe even as an immigrant into Ireland, for example, where up until recently there hasn't been a huge amount of that then you do kind of somewhat stand out. You may have a great time, but you still stand out for, for different reasons. And that's why I'm always curious to know how in terms of the environment shape is, and we often talk about where immigrants coming in, where they have to, they have to uh, sink or swim, and therefore they have an extraordinary... First of all, I even think to have the get up and go to leave your own homeland uh, takes extraordinary strength. And then the resilience that you need to have to survive and thrive. And I wonder, that's why I was asking the question is, do some of those beliefs that you hold come from that? Or is it just, as you said, just observations in life as you've, as you've gone on through your you know, journey? Sure. Yeah, well, no, I think there's a lot to, to go into there. Um, and yeah, I mean, you, you can't be an armchair psychologist, right? You can't be someone who's just sort of always watching on the, the sidelines, uh, though I think the, mm. my ability or interest in just general observation has certainly informed a lot of my mindset and the way that I approach things. But that, of course, uh, you know, has to be married with action, right? And actually mm. putting into practice what you, you preach or what you think and what your beliefs are. And I think... That's something that I have always done, um, you know, even when it comes to like, let's just anchor it on the example of 
coming to Canada and, uh, you know, not really sort of having any support, any network, any, again, even any job lined up, had three months of rent saved up, uh, you know, when I got here. And uh, that to me was a huge hero's journey moment, if you will. Uh, You know, I was kind of thrust into this new world and needed to make it on my own. And I largely credit that move again to, uh, you know, my, I guess my current situation today, right. And the way Mm. that I think and how I behave and how I act. Uh, And I see the difference too, in my peers who maybe haven't done something like that. Uh, they haven't moved away from home or, you know, they're still stuck with their group of high school friends, uh, still kind of entrenched maybe in sort of the like mindsets, beliefs, attitudes that don't serve them anymore. And they kind of know that, but they also don't, uh, take any action to, to change that. Um, just huge believer in it, taking yourself out of your comfort zone, right? Because you really don't know what you're made of until you, you truly do that. And I know I'm talking in very broad concepts here, but mm. it's, it's something that uh, uh, you know, I think about quite often. Um, and you can see do it you, around you. Do you have to take yourself out of your physical environment or does it help at least to take yourself out of your physical environment in order to break old habits and get outside your comfort zone i think so yeah yeah like we you know i'm a believer in free will i'm a believer in mind over matter and being able to uh you know overcome difficult circumstances that are physically around you uh my thinking in the right way but at the end of the day we're we're human right our brains are wired Mm. to take the path of least resistance and if we put ourselves in a situation that's more conducive to positive or constructive outcomes then why not like that's Mm. that's just it just seems to to make logical sense to me rather than kind of trying to go against Mm. the tide if you will Mm. why canada short answer is just very easy to get to for uh for an australian so yeah, we, we have, have the Commonwealth Agreement, you know, Canadians can come mm. to Australia, Australians can go to, to Canada. Uh, but I think in, for me, it was, more of a, it was more of a push than a pull thing. So I just mm. really wanted to get out of Australia. Um, I don't know what it was. Uh, you know, I still have family, friends back there, but I don't see it as home, interestingly enough. I don't like I haven't been back in, in five years and I still don't, I don't miss it. Uh, COVID obviously has made things more difficult, but um, sure. yeah, for me, I just wanted to get out. Canada was really easy to get to. Could have gone to the UK. I thought the UK was a little bit grim, unfortunately, <laughs> from my times going to London mm. and things like that. Um, yeah. So it was kind of a stepping stone for me. I figured I wanted to get out of Australia. Mm. Uh, easy to get to. Let's see. Let's see what happens. Mm. There seems to be a kind of a thread of detachment that seems to go through a number of what I'm hearing anyway, your experiences in both in terms of outliers, observing, moving away from home and still not, not, not missing it so much. Is that a fair comment? I'd say so, yeah, to a certain degree, for better or for worse. Yeah. And how does that detachment serve you in your everyday life in terms of, my sense is it can be uh, very helpful and productive uh, in your work environment. And I'm just curious to kind of understand some of the cases and places where you see it being of huge benefit to you. Hmm. Well, certainly in our profession, it does, Paul. 
right? So I am in sales and I've been in sales for the last six years or so. Um, And yeah, I think a pitfall that a lot of reps, I was going to say young reps, but I see a lot of experienced reps doing it as well, is uh, just emotionally attaching way too much to both the highs and the lows of their role. And it just burns them out. Right. It just it, it mm. doesn't lead to uh, any sustainability of a, a mm. career uh, in the long run uh, and mm. leads to perhaps poor decisions <laughs> that are made after that. Mm. So, yeah, I think, you know, and I think there's kind of elements of stoicism and things like that that you could sort of apply here. And uh, I have my thoughts around that. But, yeah, I think it's certainly been like having been through maybe sort of the ups and downs already myself as a child and a more turbulent childhood, uh, you know, if you will, uh, has and kind of like going through that and overcoming a lot of the uh, the mental uh, sort of blocks that I had um, as a child has equipped me better to perform in a role like sales where it can be very, very volatile um, mm. and externally kind of driven at times. Mm. In as much as you're comfortable with, could you give us a sense of what they were? You mentioned about blockages, you know, obstacles. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, didn't come from a very, uh, you know, ideal family circumstance, if you will. Um, You know, family or, you know, my parents divorced when I was around about 10. Uh, They should have divorced much earlier, uh, you know, to be honest. Uh, And then from there, uh, you know, just a lot of, lot of changes, right? My family was never well off. Uh, my mom, I guess, stayed with my mom. My dad moved away. Uh, my mom got remarried, had my little brother. Um, but even then, like, you know, there were financial difficulties uh, pretty much as a constant theme in, in my home. Like, we were li- living in this tiny little flat. It was me, my mother, my brother, stepfather, and grandmother in a two-bedroom flat uh, pretty much for the entirety of my, my childhood, right, up until I, when I moved away. Um, yeah, so there was always struggles, uh, you know, a lot of uh, probably issues that my mom had and, like, you know, stepfather had that they brought into the, the family and that would affect mm. myself and, you know, my, my brother. Mm. So, yeah, not to go into it too much, but was not a, a, a very, uh, let's say, stable um, environment for a, a, a child to grow up in. <laughs> It helps me understand, and maybe, armchair psychologist here, is the, the detachment maybe then is a coping mechanism with that turbulence that you learn to, it's a survival mechanism by which we can um, bring distance between ourselves and what's going on around us, and then it becomes part of who we are, and, and, and it can be a superpower, or it can be something that can bring us down. You clearly turned it into a superpower, so uh, kudos to you. Yeah. Well, hey, I think, you know, I, I didn't, uh, I couldn't say that I mastered it, um, you know, as a child, right? And not even up until, let's say, even my mid, mid-20s, mid I think, yeah, childhood was mostly just kind of, you know, trying to, to get through and trying to make the most of mm. the situation that I had. But, you know, as soon as I had the opportunity to, I realized, again, the importance of uh, your physical environment and how that influences you. And that's why I moved out as early uh, as I could and figured that, yeah, just being out in the world by myself and, uh, yeah. you know, almost like finding new connections and finding new community would be the 
main way that I would uh, start to fulfill any sort of potential um, mm. that I had. So, yeah. But then even so, like it was, it was a very difficult, like, you know, even in my early twenties sure. and it would, yeah, it wasn't until like, let's say, yeah, a few years ago yeah. where I really started to feel like things were, were starting to click. Mm. In that transition, as you moved and you moved away from home and towards Canada and, and that new life for you, what, what did you have to overcome that was difficult that you're really proud of? Oh, well, I mean, I don't know. It, it's very hard to even kind of think of it. I don't think I even feel much pride for things that I don't, I don't know if that's an, a symptom of the detachment, right? Where it's just kind of like the highs and the lows. I just sort of take them as they come. Mm. Uh, but I think my, I think it's the discernment that I've cultivated over time. Mm. That's definitely been uh, something that I've, I'm proud of and that I'm continually working on. Um, huge mm. believer in letting go of things that are not meant for you, whether that be, uh, you know, friends, relationships, uh, you know, jobs that are clearly just not working out and, you know, in situations, of course, where you've given it your, your best shot uh, and not holding any resentment for, for that mm. either. Right? And I think that's something that mm. has only been able to, like that discernment has only been able to have been cultivated over many years of actually putting that into to practice and like actually doing what I say, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. You mentioned a few moments ago about stoicism and you'd come back to it. I missed the context on that. What, 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 what had you in mind when you talked about stoicism? Yeah, so I think if we, we talk about the idea of detaching from the highs and lows and not getting carried away by uh, mm. you know, our emotions so much, you know, that's definitely mm. the, the core tenets of, of stoicism. Um, that said, I think there's room even to expand on the notions of stoicism, right? We don't want to be someone who's just a, an unfeeling robot and, you know, doesn't actually enjoy, uh, you know, parts of life. And uh, I think mm. that is something that you can easily fall into, right? If you're someone who practices, uh, you know, practices that way of, of life or mm. that philosophy. Uh, so I guess I, that's where I would just expand on, on yeah. that notion. Because I think it's got a bad rap in the last few years. And I think, um, for what it's worth, I, I think we could do with a little bit more of it. The, the, the benefits of it. I think too much of it, you're right, can be toxic, can be limiting. But I think some of it, and enough of it, like everything in moderation, I guess, can make us more resilient and more able to, you mentioned about detaching from things that are in your life that are, you know, no longer serve you. And I don't mean that in a utilitarian way, but, you know, relationships that are no longer serving you or toxic and you're able to detach from those and, and and that comes from that requires i guess you to tap into that internal stoicism and i think we all could do with a little bit more of that yeah and i think it's a paul i think it's a, a natural byproduct of growth as an individual too mm. right so we're talking about mm. the overarching philosophical principles but if you as a person are just continually striving to be better and, uh, you know, getting to your highest version of yourself, if you will, uh, mm. that, uh, I guess that misalignment of 
other things in your life is just naturally going to happen, right? You're going to outgrow potentially your close group of friends. You're going to outgrow your job. Uh, you know, you're going to outgrow your environment. Uh, and those are all things that happen to me. And I think where a lot of, where a lot of people get stuck is kind of that mental struggle of like, Oh, like, you know, do I like, but this person's like really my really close friend, like, you know, but they're always being negative and, you know, they're maybe always complaining. Um, but I can't let them go even though it's really getting me down. And that mental struggle, I think, is something that the more you have practice just overcoming and being like, mm. I, I can detach from this friendship. I don't have to, you know, make them my enemy, but maybe we're just growing apart mm. and maybe we'll find our way yeah. back again together at some point. Yeah. Who knows? Like, you know, life is, life is long. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just sort of that building that muscle of being able to do that without any, like, regrets or mm. emotional attachment onto what could have been is um, something that I strive to, to, to cultivate and mm. I think is uh, a pretty healthy behavior. <laughs> Talk to me about the work you do uh, outside, outside of the day job. I know you work with people in terms of coaching and mentoring. Uh, talk to me about that, what you see, what you observe, where, where people struggle and, and, and need help mm. in a work context. Oh yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> I think it's so interesting, this age of remote first um, selling that we're in, which is, uh, you know, the realm that I'm B2B tech sales. Um, and namely the anxieties that it's, it's breeding, e either breeding or exacerbating in, in people. Mm. You almost hear topics of mental health and, um, you know, anxiety being talked about every, every single day, whether it's like a, the newest tech startup to help solve mental health once and for all, right? Or just people just talking about it, uh, you know, destigmatizing it. Um, I can't help but wonder sometimes if this overemphasis on mental health is actually making the problem worse than, uh, <laughs> than it's helping. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And it's something that, yeah, I am noticing in my peers a lot. Um, you know, I'm working at, at metadata yeah. and uh, I think just the inability to see maybe your manager or like your colleagues or your clients in person is making people just get in their heads uh, a lot. And I think it creates an opportunity in, in my view to really just anchor back in ourselves, right? Just like grow yeah. a stronger sense of self and that's going to mitigate any, <laughs> you know, any of these these yeah. worries or concerns, um, you know, clearly yeah. have a lot of thoughts on this topic, but yeah. Yeah, and I'd like to dig, dig a bit deeper because clearly there's a big difference between what was absolutely something that needed to happen and continue to happen, which is destigmatizing mental health, that we can all talk about it, and, mm -hmm. and, and particularly for men, that we can say, you know what, I've been struggling too. I'd be interested in your own thoughts on the subject. To me, if you were to have just liken it almost to a, like a physical condition. Um, to me, it seems that the obsessive societal uh, uh, conversation around anxiety is like if you had a wound on your leg and you're just picking at it constantly. Is that gonna make the wound heal better? I don't think so, right? Mm. You maybe do some other things, you let it breathe. Uh, you know, you do some, uh, you know, you, 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 do, you find alternative treatments maybe, right? You get out into fresh air where you're not, uh, you know, you've got, not got it wrapped around a tight little bandage and you're getting uh, sort of like, yeah, you're exposing yourself to new situations where you allow yourself to heal better. 
Uh, I think that's about as far as I can take that analogy. But uh, really, I think the, the core thing is we're not thinking about the root causes of what this, uh, you know, I guess, endemic of uh, anxiety is coming from, right? Uh, there, could there possibly be, uh, you know, things that were missing from the, the picture? Uh, we're, you know, we, we could take this into sort of the more the pharmaceutical kind of equation, right? Where everything is just, there's a pill, there's a prescription, to solve for our, our issues, right? An easy fix uh, when we know right. that uh, pills don't really solve anxiety and it often makes the situation mm-hmm. worse, not, you know, notwithstanding a certain segment of the population where that does work. But it's, it shouldn't be the, the go-to, right? Um, when, mm-hmm. At what point did we get to this, like, sort of convenience-driven, comfort-driven mindset that whatever ache or pain that we have, whatever issue that we have, uh, it's just reaching for the next quick fix. Um, yeah, so this Band-Aid, I guess, approach to to solving problems is, uh, I guess, sort of the larger, almost the the umbrella mm. uh, around this, this uh, anxiety microcosm, if you will. Mm. Interesting. Something else on that, <laughs> this is not going to be a popular statement, mm-hmm. but it's... Um, I know people in my life, somebody recently, a good, good friend of mine, uh, I, I met up with him, hadn't seen him in a few months, and he told me that uh, he was on leave with, um, he'd, he, was, he was struggling, he, he had been bullied, and he was unable to deal with it, and it just built up, and he then went on, on, on sick leave as a result, and he was seeing a counsellor about it, and... Uh, I understand that. I understand. I've been there, um, and I think they're the kind of things you share with close friends. It's good to have really that network who you can be vulnerable with, and you can share that with, and who care enough about you to be empathetic, and 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 they feel heard and supported. Hundred percent behind that. What I struggle with is. When I wake up every day and I looked on LinkedIn where some other stranger is sharing with me their story of their struggle. I'm curious to know what your own thoughts on it are. No. Yeah, no, I think, uh, yeah, there's a couple of different components to this, right? Where we've got things like social media um, right at our fingertips, which maybe some people are using in place of cultivating close friends where they could potentially air out those, mm. those issues. Um, I often think about the concept of human dignity uh, and whether that's something that people value anymore. Um, you know, whether, like, what, what, to your point, what good does it do for somebody to air out how shitty they're feeling on a feed to, you know, 5,000 people? Mm. Like, what, what positive outcome is coming from that? Do you feel better after that? Mm. Uh, you know, did the mm. few likes sort of get you to, to where you need to be? So I think it's maybe also absent that long, longer term thinking, uh, maybe, right? Of like, mm. what outcome am I actually trying to achieve from this? Am I just trying to gather some cheap sympathy from strangers who don't even know me, who wouldn't actually care for, mm. about me at all, even if something did happen? Uh, you know, or am I just trying to win some kind of like strange popularity contest that I'm not even truly aware of myself? So mm. I think that's, there's a lot, there's a lot to it. And I don't think it's, uh, it's, not it's partially an individual thing maybe like something of this generation but then also thinking about the conditions surrounding this generation you know increased loneliness increased 
uh, isolation, maybe the rise of technology, um, you know, we're all more, we're more connected than ever, but we're also lonelier than ever, right? Whatever those statistics yeah. are, uh, kind of leading people to maybe like find the, the easy way out, if you will. Yeah, yeah. I guess, because I, I want to be kind about it too. I think it's unfair to be so pejorative about it as maybe I, I, I come across, is that people are trying to, when they come out in a public forum, I think they're trying to normalize it and make it okay which I fully support. I just think we need to do that in our close friends, in our network and have those open conversations. If it's men with their male friends or female friends to be open and just straight up and it's normalized. Here's how I'm feeling, here's what happened, blah, 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 blah. I just don't know that, I think, I think we're still grappling with social media in terms of what it is and how it works. And as you said, what outcome is it bringing as well? Um, yeah, yeah, I think, it's almost like uh, uh, the full picture is missing, right? Like we're, yes, we're expressing our feelings and emotions and that is a good thing. But what's missing is almost uh, this idea of cultivating more inner strength, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't see that being talked about as much, right? Building character, building resilience, uh, arguably the building blocks of your character that are going to help you overcome future instances of anxiety, depression, etc. Um, and I can speak from this again personally, right? Like, and it's strange mm. that you almost have to caveat any of these statements with "I've experienced this personally" because yes, of course is. I've yes. experienced this personally, right? Like I went yeah. through a very yeah. turbulent, uh, you know, childhood and early adulthood, right? Um, mm. But. Yeah, it's that didn't that doesn't define me. I found my way mm. out of that, and um, I, I believe that anyone truly could find their way out of any circumstance that they find themselves in that they're not happy with, if they truly wanted to. Um, so maybe that's a matter of, of will. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. I think what we're saying is there's nothing wrong with normalizing um, situations in life that are, that impact us. But really what we should all be focusing on is building the resilience and the strength to deal with what life is going to throw at us because it's going to happen. And just talking about it is not enough in itself. I, I, if I've understood you correctly, that's what you're saying to me is that it's okay to talk about it and it's good to talk about it, but that in itself is not enough. Now you, It goes back to what you said at the very beginning of this conversation. Now you have to do something. Yeah. Um, my, yeah. my favorite... Thing to say and all my friends and even my, my husband uh, knows me for this is and then what right you got an issue you, you've complained to me about it okay cool and then what what are you going to do about it yeah. Uh, yeah. and you see it's so easy to see who in your circles actually like wants to do anything about their situation based on the actions or maybe the lack of actions that they take, and I'm very fortunate now. Uh, you know, I actually just got married uh, this past weekend. Uh, you know, to to oh, my congratulations. husband. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, and one of the core values that I think your husband would have been upset had you married somebody else. I'm sorry, I cut across you there. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for it. Um, yeah, no, I think one of the core values that brought us together was the fact that we're both very action oriented. Right, we mm. do as we say. Right, we don't say things that we will not do. And it's strange mm. that this has now become a very rare thing. You, you know, you get like flakiness or, you know, people just like say things, but don't mean them. 
I weed those people out very quickly out of my life. Um, so mm. yeah, very, very strong value of mine. How do people typically respond to those messages when you put them out there? What kind of messages? If it's up to you, up to, you know, if it is to be, it's up to me. Uh, you are the author of your own destiny. Uh, you need to take action mm. on this, not just sit on it and dwell on it. Uh, well, I, I don't know. It depends on who I'm talking to, right? If it's a, it's a mm. LinkedIn post, let's say, and uh, LinkedIn's been a great platform uh, for me to just kind of like share some of these things because it's brought people who are more like-minded closer to me and it's also repelled people who are not. And that's totally fine with me, right? I'm not looking mm. to uh, get the most followers or anything. I'm looking to actually mm. build a, a community of people who are... Mm growth oriented and share similar values and are also action oriented. Uh, yeah, yeah, if it's people in my personal life, uh, you can just quickly see who's going to stick around, yeah. you know, for, uh, you know, whether it's for the current situation or for the long term. Mm. Who inspires you? Oh, good question. Um, oh, my husband definitely inspires me, I would say. He's, uh, he's very... Uh, he's like me, but in more of a physical way. So he's very athletic and uh, has been into sports his entire life. So played like seven sports or something crazy like that growing up. Uh, recently, he ran a marathon for his first marathon uh, with a sprained ankle. Mm. And he had around about a month and a half to train for the marathon. Typically, I understand it's about six to anywhere from six to 12 months. Eight. I'm not a yeah he did it in a, in a month and a half just because he he wanted to and with uh, an injury so he's got a very uh strong mindset as you can tell when it comes to those physical acts and you know i don't have that you know i i'm more uh yeah i definitely don't i'm not don't have the aptitude for for sports or anything as much as he does but that really that really inspires me mm. You need a reason too, though. I mean, I, 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 know, I have a neighbor of mine who sounds like your husband that he's just one of those physically gifted people where their bar is already at a high level when it comes to physicality. So they're able to pick up a sport very quickly and adapt to that new sport or when it comes to running. It's like they're on a higher platform from the rest of us mortals who take months to kind of get to that stage where you can sustain it. But uh, it's still, my own experience is that unless you have, and it often is at a subconscious level, some why that's driving you to do something like that, because it's painful and to do it with the, you know, <laughs> I think the, the, the sprained ankle compensates for the fact that he is probably a, a, a gifted physicality for sport and for running, but then, so let's give him a sprained ankle to kind of temper that a little bit. Um, <laughs> It requires an incredible mental strength to do that. But also, I think you need some sort of a why. Why am I doing, what's pushing me to do this? Not doing it for the fun of it, no question. I remember when I was training with my brother-in-law, and I used to, the long run on the weekend, I would go out with him. And we were, this was one particular, I was where at the 14, 15 mile stage at, in terms of ramping up. And it was a struggle. <laughs> it was funny because where, where, where we ran from to my house to his house was 14 miles. And it was uphill the whole way. 
And then the following week we decided we'd run the other way. And I was looking forward to this because it was going to be downhill. It wasn't. It was uphill the whole way. And it was just what, what, what you paid attention to. You only paid attention to where you were struggling and the uphills. You paid no attention to then, okay, well, now it comes down a bit and then it's up again. And it kind of reminded me of life. But what he said to me, I'll never forget, he said, Paul, he says, you couldn't pay me to do this. <laughs> and I thought it was an interesting insight because nobody was paying us to do it. Nobody would have been upset had we stopped. But there had to have been something, some itch that needed to be scratched. And uh, I, th I think where people have to get outside their comfort zone, as you were talking about earlier, is there has to be some sort of itch. And understanding that, I think, sometimes helps, which is what coaching is. Yeah. What is um, that? What was that itch for you? Oh, I had uh, come through a period where um, it was 2007. And in 2005, I was, I invested in something, in my business, in a, this big event. Long story short, I lost a ton of money on it. And for six months, I wouldn't answer the phone because it was usually somebody looking for their money. I had spent a lot of money on advertising and they were looking for their money. And that lasted throughout. Two, so the first event was in January. I lost money on it. But I thought because I'd invested so much, I'll do it again in April. <laughs> and I lost more money on that. It was a little bit less. And all the, all the time, my pipeline didn't ex it disappeared. I got to the summer and I just was struggling to get little bits of cash here and there. And got to September time frame. My wife came home and she said she tried to pay for groceries in the supermarket, wouldn't take the card. She, she just came home and said, listen, would you transfer some money from the uh, company account into our personal account? I just had this dreadful feeling. I tried it 2,000, no, 1,000, no, 500, nothing. And of course, you can't get a loan from a bank when, when, when you're in hot like that. Mm -hmm. And so I had to take some, and that was a tough, this tough conversation, as you can imagine. And I had to take some serious action on it. And so that was then late 2005, 2006. I was beginning to, it took me about six months to right the ship in terms of go out, start making a little bit more money just for everyday expenses. And then I also had to start paying off people I owed as well. And then I landed on my feet 2006 then with, uh, uh, with Oracle when I got some work there and built on that, built on that. So. Uh, I think to me it was some sort of metaphorical putting distance between the devil and the deep blue sea. I was running away from, from that. that. I, had, I was in a different place financially, work-wise, and I think mentally I was trying to catch up. And I think, because I always hated running. And it, it was interesting because in February 2007, uh, we were out at a restaurant and we were talking about New Year's resolutions and goals for the year and stuff. And I was with my brother-in-law and uh, his wife and my wife are sisters. And my wife, uh, I wanted to do a parachute jump. I had, right, I had done this before, but I really wanted to get into it. My wife said to me, look, uh, she's whisk adverse, didn't want me doing that. She says, and Mark had, 
I, I'm, I'm apologizing to, to, to other listeners of, the pod, to listeners of the podcast who might have heard me tell this story before, but I'll, I'll get to the point quickly. I just wanted to put it in context. And Mark had trained twice for the marathon, but through injury, sprained ankles, <laughs> Did, didn't run the, the final marathon. This was his year, third time lucky. My wife says to me, why don't you do the marathon with Mark? And the marathon in Ireland is in end of October. So February, it's a, whatever that, eight, nine months. Uh, eight months, and I always hated running. I'd, max in my life I'd ever done was two, two miles. And I said to her, running, you must be joking. I hate running, you know that. She goes, yeah, I suppose you're a bit too old anyway. <laughs> that was it. I know, I know. The spark. And I think that was the spark. That was the, yeah. so I think there was, under, underneath the surface, there was the, the, the previous couple of years had been going on. And then this was just something that was like, the spark to the flame and that was it like April I'd run a 10k by the summer I had entered 10 mile 13 and a half marathons by August and then did a marathon in October so yeah all right that's you asked yeah thank you for yeah. sharing but 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 again and, and I think that's where I, I I came from when I said there has to be a why I, I that was I knew there was for me and, mm. and I always felt that and I also felt which is why I liked a lot about what you were talking about in terms of stoicism, is that when you're training for the marathon, you need to dig into deep reserves. And I remember there's a, a trap, there's a race course about a mile from where I live, uh, horse for horses. It goes around, obviously, in the big oval. And it's, it's whatever, it's, it's a twice, it's two and a half kilometers around. And I, when I was started first, I remember in my head, what I tell myself is after, after I did the second one, and I'll be tired, right, early on, and I go two for the legs, one for the head. And then I do a third lap. And the third lap was for my head, even though my legs had, were you know, given out of that stage, it wasn't for them. It was, it was to practice pushing on, pushing on. And I had another one as well on a different route where if I turned left, it was a five kilometer circuit. If I turned right, it was going to be a 10 kilometer. And I'd, and I'd leave the front house and I'll say, I'll decide when I get to the junction, knowing damn well. And I'd go turn left, turn right, and it was always turn right, which is the, you know, the, the longer circuit. And, and I think that's, th that we have to, I think sometimes people think that, oh, I, I don't have it. And of course you don't have it. You have to develop it. You have to work on it. And I think that's what you were saying earlier as well in, in, in some respects is to, you, you have to develop the resilience and the persistence. It just doesn't come to you automatically. You, you know, sometimes it, it will, as in life throws stuff at you early on that you just have to deal with and that gives you those challenges. If it doesn't, you have to find them. That's true. Yeah, yeah. You, you kind of, uh, yeah. it's almost like you have to use, let's say, disgust or like some kind of a strong negative emotion to where you currently are and who you are almost as a compelling a compelling event to change right otherwise you never you'll never change and it sounds like for you is you know that comment that your wife made but um yeah it's going to be different for for everybody yeah Still haunts me. <laughs> and that was 2007. I think if she said it to me now, I might go, yeah, you're right. <laughs> That's funny. Because uh, the one thing the marathon does, I think if you've got a physical frame for it, it's okay. But 
my knees have suffered somewhat as a result of it. But I don't regret it, not for a second. Because, mm. uh, yeah, I don't. Uh, you talked about visualization before. Talk to me about that. Yeah, what about it? Just curious to know what it means to you and how you use it. And because uh, for some people it might be just hokum. And again, okay, I'll tell you, here's why I'm asking you this. I have tried visualization before and it's worked very well and other times it hasn't. And I think often it's because I wasn't ready and I hadn't put the foundation elements in. So that's why I was curious to know your experience with it, uh, how mm. it works for you. Yeah, so I think I would almost reframe it as, um, if not visualization, but like imagination. Right? So if we're talking about the power of something like that to believe that there is something better for you out there, I think mm. that is really critical because in order to achieve anything that you want to, first it starts in your mind, right? It's, mm. you, have to be, uh, you have to believe that you're capable of it. You, and if you're not capable of it now, you have to believe that you will uh, be capable of developing the skills perhaps to get to the next step and the next step after that and eventually your your goal which you know maybe there is no final goal maybe it's just a never-ending journey but you do mm. need to to be able to visualize that um, yeah and for me uh, you know I think it's funny because I'm now coming to kind of close to what I've visualized for myself for the last let's say like seven eight years where right. I'm living somewhere uh, nice and sunny, uh, you know, by the beach. I have this vision for myself. I'm living in like a nice house uh, with a partner who I genuinely connect with and will be with for the rest of my life. Uh, perhaps I'll have a, a couple of children. I'm not there yet. Um, maybe I'll have, you know, my, my dog there. I'm painting. I'm doing creative things that fulfill me and and perhaps even coaching, coaching people who genuinely want to improve their lives. Like that's kind of my little vision for myself. And I think mm. I'm, I'm getting there. Uh, it's funny. I think COVID has actually accelerated this timeline for me where now I have the everything lined up to go to Costa Rica, like I mentioned earlier, um, which is where mm. we'll be headed in a couple of months. And um, yeah, I, I think that's going to be kind of my, my next step. And it's very close to the, the vision that I've, I've had for myself, even when I was you know, back in Melbourne and was feeling very stuck and was nowhere near a seaside or uh, you know, with somebody that I was going to be with for the rest of my life. Mm. So for mm. better or for worse, I think it's kind of a situation where there's no harm in doing it, right? There's someone, there, there's always yeah. going to be skeptics who are like, this stuff doesn't work. Well, what's the harm in doing it? Would you prefer to stew mm. in negativity and be, be realist? Well, I, I don't know if realistic, it'd be a cynic. Mm. I, don't, I prefer to believe there's magic in, in life and uh, to mm. create opportunities for that magic to happen. Mm. I'm curious to know what the goal or what the, the Costa Rica is about. Because I've seen, uh, you're not the only one, I've seen other people do this. I've never been there, so I don't know. Uh, you clearly have a built a really nice life for yourself where you are. So why Costa Rica? I just really love it. I've uh, I've been there for vacation um, a couple of times. Really mm. enjoyed the culture, the people. Um, it's a country where there's like five different microclimates. There's a jungle. There's a beach. There's mountains. 
Uh, it's a very biodiverse country too, um, huge animal lover. Mm. So when I went there, I was just stalking sloths and monkeys everywhere uh, that I could. And um, yeah, for me, like I, I guess being Australian, I, I do like the warm weather. I don't know why I came to Canada. The last six years have been uh, interesting from a winter perspective, mm. to say the least. But um, yeah, it just it ticked all the boxes of the kind of physical environment that um, I could see myself actually staying in long term so now the opportunity has come I've got a job that supports me to do that I've got the means I've got the a partner who's on the same page and uh, yeah that just it seems mm. to all have lined up mm. what do you love most about your job for me I think it goes back to working with humans you know uh, sales is, is interesting I've talked a lot about it on you know previous podcasts and things like that I do think sales, if uh, done the right way, can be one of the big, like most transformative things you could do uh, with your life or job. Mm. And that's because it's just a job that requires you to get out of your comfort zone every single day. <laughs> There's every single call is a, a, you know, an event that could make or break your, your quota, right? Could mean mm. uh, you know, a, a big commission check or uh, nothing at all. Right. So humans are unpredictable. I think it's also cultivated my own just interest and study of humans and why they act the way that they do and what drives people and uh, just the different kind of characters that you come across. I think that's the most entertaining part of the job. And uh, for people like me, perhaps, who don't come from good uh, you know, financial means from a, a family or, you know, a childhood side of things, it's a it's a very low barrier to entry job to very high earning potential very quickly um if you just if you mm. apply yourself it's a very meritocratic mm. job and that's what i like about it what has sales taught you about yourself gosh i think for me it's that it's the idea that if you really just apply yourself to something uh you can do very very well um, mm. I didn't come from a, a, even a business background or anything like that. I was in design. That's what I went to school for mm. and worked as a designer for a couple of years uh, out of school. Hated it. Didn't fulfill me. Uh, low money ceiling. And it's something where you can work really, really hard at and it's, it, your bank account will not reflect <laughs> anything uh, mm. to do with your efforts, right? So I think sales is one of those things. You direct all your energy, direct all your focus and make the right moves and that will reflect well in um, in your mm. your financial situation mm. in my experience and and i had this myself is that there's probably less maybe five percent of people and i've just picked that figure out of thin air by the way uh mm. who just naturally get sales they have their, their paradigm they get that it's about others and they have a natural ability to build rapport advance a conversation uh deal with stalls objections and keep the conversation and the relationship alive and they've done that because they've grown up with that somehow or another they learned it on the streets whatever their background is and then at some point in others reps where they there, there's a light bulb moment where they realize ah that's what it's about up to that point they've been kind of going here's my products would you like to buy <laughs> or some ver some variant of that <laughs> And I'm curious to know whether you were the former or the latter, and if the latter, when was your light bulb moment? Hmm. 
you know, somewhere in between, I guess. Um, you know, my first sales job was at a, an ad agency, very small, like dinky little shop, 15 people. Uh, I was selling media spots in newspapers and the radio and stuff like that. Uh, cold calls every day, right? Here's your list. Just, you know, go for it. And as difficult and as much of a trial of that job was, like it helped me grow as a person just immensely and that was where I learned for the first time oh I can actually be good at this right this terrifying Mm. thing that uh you know has all these sleazy connotations to it or whatever is a absolutely just untrue uh if you you do it the right way and b uh you know people will actually want to talk to you again and you know want to come back and you'll get really really good feedback uh so Mm. that was you know when I started to I think just to understand the the concept of sales as being of service and uh, that's carried through, uh, you know, since then I've moved to, to tech sales, uh, you know, different ballgame, more complex, uh, you know, higher sales prices, more stakeholders involved. Uh, definitely had my highs and lows, wasn't definitely not naturally good at it, uh, you know, from the, the get go. But uh, it taught me more and more about the ability to, again, just build consensus, get to know, again, the individual stakeholders involved, their motivations, and also understand, too, that your product is just not going to be for everybody. And the more you cultivate mm. that understanding that you're not going to be for everybody, uh, paradoxically, more people will try to actually sell themselves to you because <laughs> something, something about, uh, I don't know, maybe a law of attraction or something like that. But that's something that definitely came later on in my, my maturation and um, sophistication mm. of the, the craft. Yeah. It's true that it's almost as if you say to a prospect, I've got three options here. Uh, option A, you're probably not interested. Forget that one. Here's B and C. They're now obsessed with what is A. <laughs> please, please show me A. <laughs> no, it's okay. Probably not for you. <laughs> oh, Lord. It is. I think, there's, I think that human nature thing, they're so full of paradoxes. What, what, what feels natural, what is obvious to us is 180 degrees out of kilter of what works. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Rachel, we're almost up on time. I have a couple of quick questions I'd like to ask you before I let you go. Take two minutes. Um, first one is, if your uh, house were on fire and your, your family, your husband, your, your dog is safe, um, your phone is safe, it's all backed up, all that good stuff, but you have time to run back in and grab one item, is there something that you would uh, reach for? Hmm. I think for me, it's, uh, it'd be the photo albums. I okay. am huge on, uh, you know, it's funny because we talk about detachment and like, uh, you know, yeah, cultivation of stoicism, but I am a very sentimental person also in some aspects. Mm. And I love just mm. flipping through the photo albums. I've tried to download as many of my iPhone photos into physical format. Uh, so made made sort of the, the intention to do that. So yeah, would would probably be those. Mm. Have you a favorite uh, desert island book book, uh, particularly a sales book that that influenced you? Oh, that's um, can I say a non sales book? Because I feel like I've gone sure. through all of those. Yeah. Yeah. So I've recently just picked up a book. Uh, my, uh, my husband's mum just gave it to me actually. It's called Outrageous Openness. 
by a woman called Tosha Silver. Um, she's okay. a like a spiritual practitioner. Mm. Really easy to read book. I just literally just picked it up at her place and started reading. Then I was like, I loved it so much. She just got me a, a copy. But it's just tiny little anecdotes of like lessons that she's learned like in her life, told with like a very funny, just sort of sense of humor, uh, very uplifting. And uh, nice. yeah, it's one of those books that I'm just like, I need to recommend this to everybody. Like everybody's like overthinking something or getting obsessive about uh, a situation. Uh, very, uh, it's a book that helps you, I think, cultivate sort of more of the, the spiritual uh, mm. you know, side of yourself, right? Mm. And uh, get, gets you out of the, the weeds quickly. <laughs> Outrageous Openness, it's called. Outrageous What's the author's openness. name again? Tosha Silver, T-O-S-H-A Silver. Excellent. Final question. Speaking of books, when your time on this planet is done and there's a book written about your life, what would you like the title to be? <laughs> oh, that's a, a good question. Um, here for a good time, not a long time? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just That'll joking. do. Yeah. That'll do. <laughs> That'll do. <laughs> That'll do. That'll do. <laughs> Good stuff, Rachel Shee. Thank you so much for being my guest on the podcast today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Paul. Appreciate it.